All right. Hello, Parkview. This is Thomas Hoke, and I want to welcome you to the Parkview Groups podcast. This is the episode for the week of March 6th through March 12th. My goal each week is to inform, guide, and train group members and group leaders, both to take the next step with Jesus and to help others do the same. Uh, let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. That's what we're all about. And everyone has a part to play in that. Right, Wade? Right. Oh, right. I'm joined by Wade. Hello, pastor of college. Great to be here. Wade Yurig. And so this week we're going to learn from Acts 21, verses 17 through chapter 22, verses 21. Uh, In the biz, we call that a biggie. That's a long that's one. That's right. It's that's a, a long, long passage. That is. Long. That's a long one. Marathon. And, <laughs> and for our training segment, we'll be talking through a little disciple-making case study on prayer. So, uh, first, well, let's take it away. All right, a couple of things to update you on going on around Parkview in the next week or so, or a few weeks, I should say. First, there is a Central Campus Work Day coming up on Saturday, March 25th. That's from 8 a.m. to noon. Anytime you want to pop in there, be a great thing to do as a group together. Uh, of course, this is probably mostly focused on people who are at Central Campus, but if you're at East and you just want to help out, great. Uh, I know that one of the main things that needs to be addressed is the chairs. We need to address the... Uh, How to fix the chairs. That's right. <clears throat> a lot of chairs to fix. Um, those chairs get put up and taken down all the time. And to facilitate uh, successful gospel ministry might seem like a small thing, but people need a nice chair to sit in. And it's not broken or collapsing under them. So serve Jesus by fixing chairs on March 25th from 8 a.m. to noon. There's other things to do too. There's things for all ages, all skill levels. So uh, if you want to do that with your group, especially central campus groups, that's Saturday, March 25th. So ask your leader about it. See what they say. Secondly, the Walk with Jesus event. We do this each year around Easter time. And this is coming up on Saturday, April 1st from 4.30 to 7.30. Um, they're looking for volunteers to help put this on and for people to just come and enjoy it with their families. Uh, what it is is a guided sort of tour uh, with live sort of um, teaching, acting out, basically the, the final week of Jesus' life. So it's a great way for kids to see what the Easter story is all about uh, up close and personal. And, and it's a great experience. I've done it with my kids. So if you are uh, interested in attending again, Saturday, April 1st, 430 to 730, or if you want to volunteer, um, that would be a great thing. They, they are looking for helpers. So uh, with that said, let's move on to the guide. All right, our goal in the guide session is to get a big picture of the passage, to navigate any speed bumps, uh, any awkward bits that could disrupt our discussion, and to give a couple places to land an application. Like I said, I am joined by Pastor Wade, and I'm just going to let him take it away. Great to be with you, Parkview. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ and our Father. Brief word of context of where we are in Acts before we move to our passage. We're transitioning from a focus on Paul's third missionary journey to now moving to a lengthy description of Paul's sufferings for Christ and his Gentile mission, specifically his imprisonment and trials that are, uh, that will fill the rest of the book of Acts. And we're going to specifically focus on uh, Paul's five defenses of the gospel before the Jewish and Roman people. That's one of the main 
themes that kind of carries us through all the way to chapter 28. So last week we saw that Paul's now come to Jerusalem. And so the question is what happens while he is in Jerusalem? Our text today gives us the account of what happened. Acts 21, verse 17 to 22, verse 21. And there's going to be three major scenes we're going to work through together. So first scene, starting in verse 17, Paul visits James and the elders in Jerusalem. And here it goes. Verse 17, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Let's remember one of the major themes of the whole Bible. In fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 17, God's new people, the church, are both Jew and Gentile united in Christ. Yes. And if you want to know more about that, you can explore that further in Ephesians 2 to 3 or Galatians 3. Uh, Paul uh, has deeper theological explanations for that reality, the mystery of Christ. It's wonderful. And so Paul's declaring that to uh, the elders here in Jerusalem. And so in verse 20, when the Jewish Christians hear this good news of Gentile nations coming to know Christ, it says they glorified God. Now the elders transition now to explaining some difficulties facing the church in Jerusalem in light of Paul's speaking the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 20, again, they said to him, there are many thousands among the Jews Of those who have believed, they are all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you, that you, Paul, teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Let's pause here. There are some rumors, obviously, spreading in the church uh, in Jerusalem that Paul is anti-Jewish. He's anti-law. It says that there's a belief. The rumor is, Paul's telling people to forsake Moses, forget about him, uh, don't circumcise uh, your children. And obviously these are things precious to the Jewish way of life and to their customs. And one scholar notes that the rumor obviously is false. Paul did not object to Jewish believers voluntarily following Old Testament ceremonial laws. If you remember earlier in Acts 16 verse 3, Paul even has Timothy uh, to be circumcised for the sake of not putting up a hindrance or barrier to the gospel. And that's the important thing we're going to kind of want to latch onto in this time, is thinking about the things uh, that become the hindrances or barriers to the gospel and uh, and not setting those things up. And so in light of the rumors, since this would have caused disunity among God's people, Jew and Gentile in Christ, the Christian Jewish leaders continue, and they have a simple plan for Paul. Here it is, verse 23 Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. This is talking about a Nazarite vow, which is found in Numbers 6. So take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know, meaning all the Jewish Christians will know, that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, these rumors, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Now, by the way, this is the plan that was outlined in Acts 15, if you remember, by the Jerusalem Council, Gentile Christians stopping the practices that would have been extremely offensive to their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. And so Paul, hearing this plan from the elders uh, here in Jerusalem, he agrees to it. In verse 26, he takes the men, and the next day he purifies himself along with them. 
and goes into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would have been fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them, which would have been part of this Nazarite vow process in the temple there in Jerusalem. So let's pause again. And remember, Paul's demonstrating his gospel flexibility, we might say, in the Jewish Gentile Church of Christ. Paul knows salvation only comes through faith in Christ, not observing the Jewish law code. But Paul also knows that there are certain Jewish customs that are upheld in the Jewish community that are not anti-salvation in Jesus, but simply unique to their culture. So Paul is willing to embrace some of these particular practices in order to not cause offense of the gospel or to hinder unity in the church. And that's a principle all throughout the New Testament. We think of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some to Christ. And again, the church is saying, let's let's break down the barriers that would cause division in the church or hindrance to the mission of the, of the gospel. Uh, and so that's what's happening here. Now, let's move to the scene two. Uh, starting in verse 27, now Paul's arrested in the temple. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed mistakenly, we might say, that Paul had brought him into the temple. Again, by the way, it would have been a death penalty to bring a Gentile into the temp- temple, that kind of the inner ring of the temple. And so this is what they're accusing Paul of, but actually Paul never did this. So we see that Paul faces this accusation, right? He's, he's anti-Jew, he's anti-Jewish law, he's anti-Jewish temple. And so no, no wonder in verse 30, the whole city stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates are shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, a tribune, by the way, a Roman military leader of about a thousand troops, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once then takes his soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the Roman tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. So here's this mob, uh, this raging mob that's against Paul because they see him as anti-Jewish. And it's actually fascinating enough, it's the the Romans who actually see Paul um, as someone uh, who is uh, who is not threatening. And just to think about even the, how this uh, scene ends in verse 35 with the crowd, here's an angry you know Jewish mob, this crowd crying for a man to be done away with, away with him. And uh, you can't help but think about another Jewish crowd that probably would have been about 30 years before this, crying out almost the same words about the Lord Jesus. And so here's Paul under false accusation of being anti-Jewish about things he never taught, and mob riots screaming for him to be taken away toward death. And this is just like Jesus. He, Jesus, was accused of things he had never done, and uh, the, the mob was wanting him to be taken away. And just a moment here of, of reflection for us is um, the way of Jesus is, is the way that we must travel as well. Jesus went into suffering and then to glory. And so here Paul is one of his followers going and experiencing almost the same sort of sufferings as Christ did, false accusation, um, and yet uh, Paul is going to, we're going to see, 
uh, put his focus on Christ, and that is something that we too can do. Uh, the good news is that if Jesus experienced suffering, then glory, so also will God be working in the midst of our sufferings to bring about his glory as well and for our good. Now we move to scene three, the final scene of our passage. Uh, starting in verse 37, Paul now speaks to the crowd of, of the Jewish people. So verse 37, Paul was about to be brought in the barracks, and he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And the tribune said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? This is actually a true historical story. Josephus talks about this um, in his uh, recordings of uh, first century Jewish history. Paul replies, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, now, real quick, notice, Paul's going to defend his Jewishness to these Jewish people. And this is basically becomes a testimony uh, in four parts, focusing on Jesus and transforming power in his life. So verse 3 starts part one where Paul just talks about his Jewish heritage. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Simply put, Paul saying, I was an all-star Jewish man at the top of my class. Now, part two, he then tells his conversion to the risen Christ. Verse six, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. One thing to notice here is just the reference of light or great light. Uh, a Jewish person familiar with the Old Testament would have known that when there's a a bright, uh, massive, resplendent light, and most often it's a reference to a divine encounter, and a voice from this light as as one who then Paul responds to as Lord. And so here, uh, Paul, a Jewish man, is saying he uh, was talking to Jesus, who is Lord, which would have uh, would have been. Uh, uh, an offensive thing, obviously, to the, the Jewish people of that day. And then part three, he moves to his commission by Jesus uh, to his ministry. And so one Ananias, verse 12, a devout man, according to the law, Jewish law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Jewish fathers, appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So simply put, Paul, Jewish man who encounters the risen Jewish Jesus as the God of the Jewish fathers sends Paul, this Jewish man, on a mission. And it's very important to uh, keep emphasizing how Paul's defending himself as a Jewish man and yet 
from God being sent uh, on this mission to the Gentiles, as we'll see now in the final part, this vision in the temple, verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because the Jew- they, the Jewish people, will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Jesus Jesus saying this, right? Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul defends the fact that he is a Jewish man who now has a ministry from God through Jesus to the Gentiles. And then we'll see that that just enrages the crowd all the more. But it's due to this ministry to the Gentiles that he is now needing to defend himself to the Jews. There's a huge irony here in this passage. So just two last segments here, a big idea for reflection, and then two points of application. For reflection, a big idea that we can think about this week as we uh, approach Sunday is that for the sake of the gospel to be heard by people around us, number one, we must remain flexible in non-essentials of culture and preference, etc., for the sake of not offending our neighbor if they are non-Christian, and also not causing unnecessary hindrance or division in the church, since we must maintain unity, as Paul did, um, taking the Nazarite vow, which he had no—it wasn't forced upon him, but in his freedom he chose to do that as a, as a work of love for the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. Second, we must be firm about our testimony of Christ's transforming power. Um, think about your life, even Paul's Jewish roots— um, later in Philippians, Paul will talk about his Jewish roots, and he's uh, even willing to say, you know, uh, even the negative parts of persecuting and, and killing Christians, uh, all of that ends up being bent and used and directed, redirected by the power of the risen Christ for him to be ca- become a missionary to the Gentiles. And so just a, a word of encouragement to all of us that no matter what our roots are, uh, Jesus is the redeemer of our roots, so to speak that our past can be um, undone, rewound, and uh, set right, all for his glory and for his purposes in this world. All can be redeemed in Christ and used for Christ. So that should be encouraging to us. And so the points of application are basically based on those two points. Let's be flexible. How might we become more servant-hearted in our commitment to other Christians and flexible in our own lives if someone is in our group? or a family member who's uh, a Christian and they have different cultural or political preferences or ideas than us, um, how might we, without watering down the gospel, not allow those to be a hindrance to our deep love and affection um, and work alongside them uh, to reach others with the gospel? And then, of course, our testimony. As the Lord gives opportunity and as we pray, um, we all have ways to speak about Christ and his work in our lives, even and especially within um, our shady pasts and maybe things that we uh, look back on um, and don't love, as Paul would not have loved the fact of the things that he did to Christians uh, before coming to Christ. And yet the Lord um, redeems him out of that and sends him uh, as a witness to the Gentiles. So there you go. That's the passage, Acts 21 and 22 there. Awesome. And may the Lord bless it. Amen. What a great passage. Wade and I both have the uh, pleasure of preaching this passage. Um, we're recording this actually a couple weeks ahead of time. So we have a little conference we're going to the week that this passage is preached. 
Uh, and so it's, you've got me thinking and I hope you've got, got everyone who's listening, thinking along with you. So, uh, hope you have a great time reflecting on that passage. Hope this leads to some good meditation for you and the Lord begins to do his good work. That's the appetizer for you this week before you go to the main course of the sermon and then have a little dessert, a little sweet, tasty dessert, uh, eating this passage up in your group together. Nom, so, nom, nom. Nom, 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 nom. All right, let's uh, move on to our training segment. So if you are listening and you want to grow as a disciple and help others learn Christ, you should stay tuned in. Uh, if you've got some other stuff you need to attend to, or if you're not a group leader and that's the case, then go ahead and tune out and we'll see you next week. All right, let's go. All right, uh, so let's get trained. This week, we talk about making disciples. And in particular, I've uh, we haven't done this this kind of thing in a while, but I want to talk through some disciple-making case study. Uh, so I've got a little uh, a little case study here, a little idea, a little something that I've written up. Uh, this is a real-life thing that has happened in uh, groups that I've led multiple times. I'm sure it's happened in a group like yours if you're listening and you are a community group leader or have been in any kind of group in the past. So listen to this. We're going to talk about what we might do. Okay, Diane has been a part of your group for almost six months. Diane, wonderful Diane. Uh, for almost six months, Diane has been in your group. Diane is a frequent contributor to your Bible discussion, but during your prayer time, Diane clams up. Now that you think about it, you realize that in your memory, Diane has never prayed in front of the group. Now, Wade. <laughs> I'm surprising Wade with this, by the way. Wade. <clears throat> What are your sort of initial, just give me your initial kind of reflections on what's going on there and how you might just as, as someone who wants to help others learn Christ, what's your initial reflection on that case study brief? Well, first of all, I am thankful for the group leader that has enough uh, gospel wherewithal to understand and see that a group member is not participating in prayer. So first off, well done. Mm -hmm. You're a group leader. Amen. Uh, have your antenna up for mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Those are oftentimes uh, pathways that can be very fruitful for discipleship. So mm -hmm. number one, keep your your ears and eyes open uh, to noticing patterns, right? That's what one of the things that's really important for doing any sort of gospel ministry of making disciples mm -hmm. is we want to observe patterns mm -hmm. in the lives of those we are serving. And mm -hmm. so if the pattern there is that Diane's not praying ever, mm -hmm. that's a good thing to know. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, you know, for a lot of people, prayer can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. uh, prayer can be difficult. Uh, you know, prayer, prayer is work. Um, mm -hmm. Just last night, one of our elders was sharing a passage from Colossians four, where it talks about uh, Paphras who you know, struggles in prayer. And he, the comment that one of our elders made was, you know, prayer is struggle. So mm -hmm. a few things I would want to do in following up with Diane and probably in some sort of... Well, can I interject, actually? Oh, yes. Okay, before we get to next steps. I, ju I just want a gut reaction at first. Okay? Excellent gut reaction. Now, let me... So you already covered some of this, but my first thought, if I'm, if I'm wanting people to think about how would I respond to that, you've given me just, just exactly what I would hope to hear, which is you're thinking about what are the possibilities here? You know, because there's a lot of things that could be going on. And I, I've tried to intentionally give you, give you so little information, enough information to kind of form an idea and maybe form a bit of a concern, 
but not enough that you really can say, I understand the situation, especially since it's imaginary. Um, <coughs> but the question is, what's going on here? And you've identified some possibilities, right? Even, even in your mind, uh, you're thinking behind the scenes, you know, well, there's some, here's some things I think might be going on here. First, maybe she's just afraid to pray out loud. Just for, just, it's just a scary thought, you know, to put yourself out there spiritually. Prayer is vulnerable. You're talking to God. Right. Um, especially if you're maybe newer in Christ, especially, but not even for those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's scary to pray out loud. And you even brought it up, you know, is that, is that something that has to change for you to be a, a mature Christian? Um, debatable, probably. Probably would be a good thing to grow toward, but I don't know. It's not for me a flashing red light, if that's the, the case, you know what I mean? In the same way that I'd say, you know, if, if someone wouldn't feel comfortable going on stage on a Sunday morning, is that a deficiency? No, it just might not be their thing, you know. Um, but at the same time, if you're in a place where you do have kind of relational safety and you trust the people there, you can be, be vulnerable, um, then it might be something to think about. Second, it might be that um, she has prayed. This is, this is a sneaky one, but maybe she has prayed in the group setting and you just don't remember. Yeah. That's the first thing I would yeah. think too. Nice. Um, and so that's maybe right. that's what that's what happened is she does and you just haven't noticed it um, or it's just been a while or it's just been a matter of circumstances that's led to that. It could be that she doesn't know how to pray, mm-hmm. just doesn't have a clue, um, knows how to talk about the Bible, knows how to stay in the sort of theoretical, sanitized, um, safe level of Bible ideas. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actual interaction with the transcendent one, she's hopeless yeah. or feels that way. Yeah. Um, it may be that she's just, a, maybe she's never been prompted or asked to pray. Maybe no one's ever cared to sort of say, hey, would you mind praying and, and ask her? Maybe, I've tried to think of it, all, I tried to think of all the, the things that it could be because <laughs> I think it's so easy for us to kind of jump to conclusions when it comes to helping people learn Christ and think, oh, they don't pray, it's because they don't know, how, you know, just decide for them what it means. Right. It could be, she, maybe she doesn't see the point of prayer. Maybe she doesn't believe that God listens to prayer. So there's some of those things on the level of, on the matrix of concern. Some of those things are a little more concerning for her growth in Christ, which is what our groups are all about, relational safety. Some of those things I brought up are more in the realm of relational safety. Does she feel safe to be vulnerable enough to pray? Mm, You know, or does she feel like she'll be judged as unspiritual or as less than or as, you know, whatever? Um, some of those are in the realm of you need to do some real, <laughs> think about some spiritual initiative and think I need to sort of insert myself into this a little bit more, be a little more assertive and just at least see what's going on. Yep. Because if it is a matter of, you know, I'm not sure God hears my prayer. Well, we want to get in there on that yeah, one because right. we believe God hears our prayers, not because of the last week of our life that we've had, but because of the last week of Jesus life. Right. That's right. And so prayer is Amen. a gospel reality for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. All right. So then with those things in mind, it's helpful to maybe think through some of those things. Just for me, it is because I want to say, I don't know what's going on, but I need to, at this point, what do we need? We need more data. Like Mm -hmm. you said, noticing trends, noticing patterns, but we need more data. That's really what we need. What are some ways that we can get more data? Well, most likely by asking questions, I thought what came to mind as you were speaking, Thomas, was the importance of one of the most important data points is that she's contributing regularly to the Bible discussion. Right. Which I'm like, that's your starting point. 
where you say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm so thankful for you. Yeah, honor. Every time. That's right. We're opening scripture. Most every time you have something wonderful to share. Mm-hmm. I love that about you. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Absolutely. Point number one, period. Bold, italicized, underlined. Yeah. Great. Then you make a move. Point number two, and again, depending on the right context, maybe you're out for coffee or mm-hmm. something or a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. You say, hey, I'm just curious. I noticed that when we pray, oftentimes I don't, I don't hear you pray. I'd love, I'd love, I value you so much and I would, Mm -hmm. I just value your prayers and I would love to hear you praying for the group because your Bible Mm -hmm. discussion points are so strong and focused on Christ or, you know, whatever they are. And I just would love to hear you pray. So I just, yeah, I just want to open that door for you and just hear kind of what's on your heart. So that's right. So what you're getting to is we got to find the right spot to, to find that data. Yeah. Right. So if the, if the next thing we do is need is more information, then like you said, you know, we can go straight to Diane yeah. and say, you know, and then we can think about what we might say in that moment. But that's right. The next thing is wh- where do we get that? One thought that came to me is just, uh, you have a co-leader for a reason. If it's me that's in the situation, then in my co-leader is my lovely wife. And for you, if your co-leader is, uh, especially if you have a, someone who's dealing with a discipleship ship scenario like that, you've noticed it, but it's a person who's of the opposite gender in your group. And, you know, the way we think about groups is, is we see them, the man that's leading the group is sort of discipling the men and ultimately responsible for them, at least as far as that group goes. And the women, same thing. For me, I'd think, I'd ask my wife, I'd say, hey, did you notice the same thing or am I nuts? And she, she might say, no, she prays all the time. Mm. Or she always yeah. prays in our woman's time. Right. Or she always, you know, whatever it happens to be. Mm. So I might just be missing some data there. Another thing, obviously, so going directly to Diane during group, think of these as kind of online discussions, not online virtually, but as opposed to offline. Right. So meaning, you know, there, and there's plenty of times during a group, during the meal, uh, say you have a little aside with her, you get get to talk with her a little bit, and maybe you even sort of strategically stall in the kitchen a little bit while you're getting some food just to, to be able to get a little more personal discussion. Um Maybe it's after group, you, you say, hey, I wanted to talk to you, about, ask you about something. You find a little time during the context of sort of their meeting in someone's home. You have a face-to-face encounter is what I mean. And then the other option would be outside of group time. And you mentioned go for a walk together, grab yeah. some coffee, a little phone call. Um, you, you guys have to figure out what's the best time. Maybe it's a text message. I don't know. Gen Z does things differently. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like a, a, a spot chat. We sweet eat message is that were any of those words meaningful i don't really know um but sheesh okay um you do something like i don't know what they do but you do one of those um so finding the the sort of culturally appropriate way that's going to maintain relational safety and communicate to her i'm coming to you in a spirit of love and encouragement um that's that's your moment so that's where and then just like you said you know um, finding the right moment and then knowing. Now, I think one thing I often discount is just the, the purpose of prayer and the power of prayer in these things. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I've, I've noticed something, whether it's a concern in terms of somewhere someone's kind of diverting in, into sin or it's just a concern of kind of a crisis of confidence for people, which this might be as well. We don't know. It's, like I said, imaginary scenario where I, I just want to first pray. And say, Lord, first of all, give me wisdom to help actually understand what's going on here. I confess I don't know. 
And that's one of our sources of, of data is just to, through the revelation that, that God can give into people's personalities and into situations that we might not have otherwise. Right. It's also, I think that's it's good, good to, to just ask the Lord, hey, if this is a concern, we, we already have a connection to Diane through, through your spirit, Jesus. And so if, if you're concerned to change this, would you would you help me know how I can be helpful? And would you even now, you know, just put it in her heart and in her mind that, that this is something to think about? I can't tell you the number of times that that's happened. And then when I approach something about it, it's like the Spirit has totally paved the way for that discussion, both by giving me words to say that I never could have planned out yeah, or by by raising awareness of an issue in someone's heart before I even got there. So that when I when I bring it up, they say, you know what, I had been thinking about that. And I think if I were to say, when exactly did that thinking start? It would be like the moment that I started praying. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. another just vital ingredient. Right. When we talk about, you know, especially those who are going right. through the, the the new leader training for group leaders, you might remember Wade's wonderful video on the four P's of ministry. Mm. God's people proclaiming God's word with patience, prayerfully over time. And you hear all those elements coming together. And and you mentioned too, what's, what's the scenario? Let's say we're on a walk. And I love the way you said that there. You said, you know, first... Honor what you can honor, mm-hmm. right? Right. And you're you're facilitating relational safety there by saying, here's what I love about having you in our group. Yeah. Right. What did you say exactly? Oh, yeah. I just think, you know, here's here's how you bring so much value to our group. Yeah. Every time we're open the Bible, you mm-hmm. have some wonderful nugget of wisdom from the Lord to yeah. present to the group. Love that. That's mm-hmm. your launching pad. We need you. Yeah. So and you're then not you want to bend that then yeah. to, I value your voice in prayer time as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious. I want to explore that with you. Tell yeah. me more. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a conversation. Just of, opening the door. Yeah. yeah. Here's where you're strong here. And now let's talk about your weakness. It's yeah. just more of, I love this and I'm curious about this area. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What's going on? And, and you guys probably as okay. you're listening, you're thinking, I can think of a better way <laughs> yeah. than what you jokers are thinking of to... And maybe especially the women on the on the on the call here or the podcast here are thinking, guys, there's something you aren't understanding here, and that's why I said I need to ask my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, there might right. be something we don't understand. Might be a dynamic we don't understand. There might be a way better way to honor her or a better way to bring it up. I was thinking about that too. Is there sort of a, a an even lower speed way to kind of broach the topic um, without without and in any way implying that she's kind of got a huge deficiency there. Right. I, I don't know yeah. what those are, but um, that's why mm. God has given you the place that you have in, in your people's lives and, um, and not us. And um, so we just, we're praising God for each of you and your role in, in your group and, and just encourage you to continue to assert the love of Christ poured into your people. The more that you can do that as each person, I think of Parkview as a giant centipede. And for us to take one big step forward as a church, it means that each one of those little feet, which is each of our people, need to take a next step too. And that happens through you. And so we're just thankful for you. Um, mm-hmm. It may feel like on a week-to-week basis, all I'm doing is hosting people in my home and maybe maybe helping them get a little food and uh, discuss a passage and just praying for them and just kind of the simple acts of ministry. Um, but in reality, from the 10,000-foot from the level, um, what you're doing is exactly how the church has has gone forward into health and, and vitality and to fulfill its mission to glorify God. So, um, <laughs> all right, now uh, let's, uh, let's close our time in prayer. Lord, we praise you for this passage that we get to study this week, and we ask that you would bring it 
all of its fullness to bear on us as leaders. We know we are desperate for Christ and his grace. We're desperate to learn from this passage. And Lord, we pray um, that you would form our people deeply through it. And the things that Wade brought to mind, that they would begin to think through them, meditate on them, uh, be encouraged, be challenged by them, especially as we think about the ways you challenge us to take risks, bold, godly risks, um, as we see Paul doing there, um, to be faithful to Christ in our age. So uh, fill our people with courage and confidence. Lord, perhaps you're bringing it to mind even now, one or two people in our group that you you especially want to want to do that with and you'd encourage us to sort of think more carefully about um, as we prepare for discussion and, and all that this week. Lord, I pray that you'd bless these leaders in that. Give us all that we need to help your people, your precious people that you have obtained with your blood um, to grow in Christ. We pray this all in his name for his glory. Amen. Amen. All right. We will talk to you guys uh, next week. Have a great week.